Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we wanna make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you wanna speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now, we will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Remember, when you give to Atmosphere Church, you're actually giving through Atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city and literally around the world. We've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the service. We are in a series called Expectant and this is such a good series for our new church to be a part of. And if you are new to our church, one of the reasons we do that two minute mingle is because we feel like we're all new together and so we want to get to know each other and become fam. And, and so if that's uncomfortable or awkward for you, like uh, Julian was saying, you could go, always go get a donut uh, during that time and grab a cup of coffee, which I believe we serve the best coffee in the whole Conejo Valley right here. It's organic. Patty Murphy, and then Marilyn helps Patty. Uh, it's just awesome. So always feel free to go do that. But um, we do want to get to know one another. And part of just getting to know each other and, and finding out about each other's stories, like God is on the move in so many people's lives at this church right now. And, and I don't know kind of what season you've been in in your life, but I, I feel, uh, or I feel, I should say, for probably the last month, like God is moving us into this new season where things are coming to fruition of things that we were praying for a year ago. And we're, we're starting to see them just being lived out and, and happen. And it's exciting to be a part of that. But not only are we talking about us as a church, but I believe God is on the move individually within people's families and within people's lives. And uh, that's why this series is so important, this expectant series. Now, I don't know if you guys watched the news this week or heard this story, but there was a graduation ceremony that went viral this week. Matter of fact, it, it took place last Sunday, and I, I have a, a slide uh, a, uh, with a couple of pictures, but in the picture is billionaire investor Robert F. Smith, who was given a graduation commen commencement speech at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. 
And during his commencement speech, he was letting all of the graduates of Morehouse College know that he and his family were going to pay off all of their student loan debt for the whole time that they were at Morehouse College, which the average student I was reading took out about $100,000 in student debt in order to go to the college. So we're talking about a significant amount of money. One estimate was like $40 million this guy agreed to pay off. Now, can you imagine you're in that crowd, and even the president of the university had no clue that he was going to make this announcement during his commencement speech. And so everyone has just got the same look on their face like, what? Like they're looking at each other going, did, did I just hear him say what I think he said? And immediately their mouths drop open and they're like, wow, that is incredible. I, I call it that moment of awe where it's just like, this is awesome, where, where it's, it's just a moment that happens to you that takes you by surprise, a good surprise, by the way, where you're just like, what? Look at that guy's face. I think that just says it all right there. Now, what I love about our relationship with God is he wants us in the same likeness living with a sense of awe and wonder in our lives where he wants to be on the move so much so that we have all of these moments in our relationship with him where we're just like looking at the nearest person that is to us and just like, what? I cannot believe this is happening for my life. In the book of Acts, which I I believe this is really the picture of what God has in store for our lives, that even though this happened in a specific time within church history that I believe that God still wants to be on the move today as he was back then. And it says here in Acts chapter 2, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of, what's that word, church? Ah! And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now, when I first started really coming back to church and finding my way to a full surrender relationship with God, this was like 1990. And there was a, a real popular song out called Our God is an Awesome God. How many remember that song by Rich Mullins? Okay. I, I mean, every church was singing it, every Christian radio station was playing it. I mean, it was the anthem of. Christianity during that time and during that era. And, and I love that song because it, it was a, a mantra that, you know, our God is an awesome God. But what is so powerful about that song and declaring that is that that same awesome God that we sing about is now living inside of us. And I just started thinking about that word awesome because when God comes inside of your life, there should be some awesome stuff going on with you and with your relationship with God. Can can you think of some awesome moments that you've had in your pursuit of God with your faith, in your relationship with Him? And and I believe there should be several that we should be able to think about. Matter of fact, I, I wouldn't say that I have a sense of awe every day. 
But I do believe, I have a sense of awe weekly. I, I call it my, my, my uh, wonder moment for the week. Where it's just like God just does something where I'm like, what? It's crazy. I'll just give you an example. So I'm praying for my adult children, which, you know, if you don't have adult children now, uh, you won't understand this. But if you do have adult children, you'll totally get this. That you pray for your adult children differently than you pray for them when they were younger. And so I'm, this is a new space for us. So I'm learning how to pray for my adult kids. And, and I felt like God gave me a word a couple of weeks ago, and I've been meditating on it. I've been thinking about it and what it really means, the significance about it, and, and how to really start coaching my adult kids in, in this new season that they're in. And it's a new territory for me. And, and so I'm praying through it. And I was driving home from work the other day, and I just really felt that nudge to listen to a specific pastor that I enjoy listening to sometimes. His name is Pastor John Corson. He has a church up in Oregon. And I hadn't listened to him in a while, and I was like, that's kind of interesting. I haven't thought about him in a while, so I think this is a God moment. I'm supposed to listen to this message. And so I put this message on, and I start listening to Pastor John Corson give this amazing teaching And in the middle of that teaching, he just pauses and he starts talking about how to minister to your adult kids. And he started giving examples of the things that he was doing. And the examples of the things that he was doing was the exact thing that God had been telling me to do with my kids. And I'm driving home from work going, what? My mouth was open. I was like that guy in that picture. I was like, wow, thank you, God. Like God came in that moment and is coaching me so that I will know how to coach my adult children in the things that they're going through. This is the kind of experience that God wants us to have with him on a regular routine basis. He wants us to walk in the wonder of the awe moments that he wants to have with us. Now, the reason I... I, kind of want to start telling you these things is because even though you may understand that intelligently and you may even understand that spiritually speaking there's a pushback in a lot of people about expecting awesome things for their life and through their life when it comes to their faith and I think a lot of that has to do with the uh, the amount of negativity that's in our world that is just thinking like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, Pastor Jim has those moments, but, but that's not going to happen for me. It's like, yeah, I, you know, that's going to happen for the, the guy or the gal that's been you know, more uh, faithful with their relationship with God, who, who have been praying more, who have been attending church more. Like Those moments won't happen for me. And I want to, if that's kind of you and the space that your mind has been in lately, I, I want to change that perspective because this kind of like awe moment that we just kind of talked about in Acts chapter 2 is not reserved for them. It's not reserved for just Pastor Jim. This kind of lifestyle is reserved for all followers of Jesus. No exceptions. Like, you are included in this. And to kind of step into this conversation, I want to talk about a guy that really came out the gate with some struggles of embracing this idea of expecting that God could do awesome things 
through his life, and his name is Moses. And he's a great guy to look at and, and to, to study because before he was splitting the Red Sea, before he was going on the mountain and God was supernaturally carving out some stones, Moses was having some real issues embracing this idea that God could use him to do awesome things for his kingdom. His expectancy was broken. And so what you see here is God gives him a promise, gives him this big dream, and then what we see is God walks him through some of the struggle that Moses was having to see that God could use him in this capacity. And I want to take you to the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, where kind of we, we hear this story unfold in Exodus chapter 3. And this is what it says. It says, uh, this is God speaking to Moses. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I, I just want to give you a little backdrop into Moses' story here because we're, we're catching him at a time in his life that, that he's been around for a while. And he started his journey in Pharaoh's court, being raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he was raised his, as an Egyptian, but he was a Hebrew. And so he was raised there. He had a lot of, you know, uh, uh, good lifestyle, a, a, a lot of benefits. He was privileged. He was that guy. And he was out one day and he was seeing one of the Hebrew slaves being mistreated by this Egyptian and so he decided that while nobody was looking, he was going to kill the Egyptian to make sure that he wouldn't be able to mistreat this Hebrew slave anymore. And so he took the guy out and buried him in the sand. And then a little later, uh, he goes out there and two Hebrews are kind of like beefing a little bit. And he says, hey, you guys need to knock it off. They're like, what, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And he's like, I'm in trouble. So he became a fugitive. He took off and he went to live with the Midianites and he got out of Dodge. He was like, I, I need to kind of run for cover because Pharaoh's going to find out. And this is, you know, I'm, they're going to they're going to kill me. They're going to give me the death sentence. And so for the next 40 years, he's out there living this whole different kind of life with some foreign people in a foreign land as a fugitive on the run for a crime that he had committed against his Egyptian counterparts. Now, all that to say, he's a shepherd, and he's out in the fields. God meets him in this supernatural way with this burning bush, and God says, Moses, I want to talk to you. So all of these feelings were rising up in Moses when the voice of God showed up and began saying, I want to do awesome things through your life. And one of them is going to be, you're going to go to Pharaoh and through you, all of these people, your Hebrew brothers, they're going to be released. They're going to be free. And it's going to happen through you. And the first response Moses says is, who am I? Have you ever felt like maybe God gave you an assignment 
to take care of. Maybe a little nudge to say, I want you to go and speak to this person or I I want you to go and help this person. And and maybe before you embraced it, there was a little pushback going, man, I I don't know if, if you're calling the right guy here. I don't, I don't know everything about the Bible. I, I, I'm still struggling with some areas of my own faith. Like, pick somebody else, God. This is exactly where Moses was at. And so we tend to camp out on all of these great things that Moses did. But before all of that happened, here is Moses in this real vulnerable position, dealing with some major blockers from him living out some awesome things that God wanted to do through him. And the blockers that he went through, I believe, are things that happen to all of our lives. I I don't know if you guys remember this 90s show called American Gladiators. Anyone watch it besides me? All right. The, the, one, the one guy I remember out of all of the, the different gladiators was Nitro. I don't know why I remember Nitro, but I just remember Nitro. And, and you, you'll Google it later uh, if, if you didn't watch it in the 90s. But it's just a fun show uh, where the competitors, they would race, and these gladiators would try to stop them from finishing the race. And they would be there to block them so that the competitors would not be able to finish the course. And I believe as you start embracing the awesome things that God wants to do in your life and through your life, you're going to run up against some blockers that are going to try to keep you from seeing that God wants to use you in awesome ways to do awesome things for his kingdom. Now, I want to give you the three blockers that I believe were standing in the way from Moses being able to see the awesome things that God wanted to do through him. And and maybe you can resonate with some of these blockers coming against your own life and your own feelings. But the first blocker I want to talk about is doubt, is doubt. Doubt is something I believe all of us face, all of us deal with, all of us probably uh, have moments where we've wrestled around with that. Maybe doubts about your faith, doubts that maybe God could use you, doubts that if you did something that there would actually be any kind of good that could come out of it. Doubts come in all kinds of different sizes and shapes. But let me take you to Exodus 4 verse 1. It says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. He's like, God, first of all, I'm Moses you know, I, I've got my own issues going on here. And if I say, hey, God told me to come here and, and tell you that uh, we're going to be set free and we're, gonna, we're, we're just going to leave. I don't know what that noise is. Is that my mic? Either that or I'm beatboxing and don't know it. And then Moses went down to the seat. Yeah. So the idea here is Moses is going through a series of doubts going, I doubt that they're going to listen to me. And because of this response, what God does is he's really gentle with Moses and he says, I'm going to give you some real examples of my power so that you can demonstrate it in front of the people and in front of Pharaoh so that you will get their attention to know that this is the real deal. They will not doubt. Once they start seeing tangible signs and wonders, they will pull back on any doubt that they have that what you're saying is from God or not. 
And so that's exactly what God does. He first shows Moses, here's some things that I'm going to do, and then I I want you to do these things in front of the people, and once you start demonstrating these signs and these wonders, these miracles, it will get their attention, and they will know that this is real, and they will not doubt anything that you say. I've got to tell you that there are two kinds of people that are listening to me right now. There's thinkers, and then there's feelers. Now, those of you that are feelers, it's easier for you to embrace faith in, in one perspective because you, you just start, you feel the atmosphere, right? You, like as we were singing that song, you're like, yes, I feel like there's breakthrough happening. You kind of come into the space where you're like, hmm, I can feel the presence of God. But if you're more on the thinker side, you're more the logic you know, person. You're, you're trying to figure things out and A plus B equals C kind of thing. And it's like, I, I, it's got to be more than just a feeling. Like, I have to have the, the logical knowledge in order for me to embrace this as a reality for my life. And, and so I know and when I'm speaking here that half of you, you don't necessarily need that, that kind of that thinker side, even though I believe all of us need it. But to really kind of prove my point here, Jesus, when he came on this earth, he came performing signs and wonders because we needed some kind of an evidence that he was the Messiah. And so he demonstrated it by the things that were coming from his life, whether he would heal the sick, whether he would give sight to the blind, whether he would feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. I mean, Jesus had all of these things that he was doing to show that he was who he said he is. And and I think as you start kind of unpacking this idea of doubt, you must understand that when, when you have serious doubt in your life over maybe God using you or God doing something through your life, just know that he wants to do tangible signs and wonders through you to start elevating your faith to another level of belief. And a lot of times as you read the Bible, you will see these little things that that God is just kind of calling us out of our comfort zones to say, hey, I know the logic side of your brain is having a hard time embracing faith, but I want to give you little baby steps so that you can increase that faith and you could Uh, help yourself into believing easier that I can do incredible things through your life and with your life. And one of the things that I have seen in my own faith, in my own journey, because I'm more of the thinker side than the feeler side. I'm I'm going to Cal Poly as a science major, and and I'm going to study animal science, right? And so I, I have that tendency to be more logic minded where things have to make sense and so God had to go out of his way for me to give me these baby steps to really start increasing my faith so it would be easier for me to know that the God of the Bible is real and he wants to do awesome things in and through my life and one of the things that he did was he told me to test him in the area of my finances And if you read scripture, you will know that one of the easiest ways for you to start increasing your faith and your belief that the God of the Bible is real is through your finances. The only time in the Bible where God says, test me, 
Test me on this. And if you think about our lifestyle, like everything revolves around money. And that seems to be the thing that we have the tightest hold on. God says, I want to show you that I'm real through the area of your finances. In other words, I want to show you that I can do more with 90% of your finances than you could ever do with 100%. Just test me. You give 10% and then let me show you my wonderful power in your life. And I had a hard time doing this, especially as a young man, as a college student, going, I don't have much. 10% of zero is zero, all right? I'm eating top ramen every day, right? Drinking, uh, you know, little juice boxes. I mean, just whatever I could afford and wasn't much. But I started tithing at a young age, and I just started seeing God do miracles, getting, getting money given to me, getting things things taken care of. Uh, one, one thing in particular is, you know, when, when you start testing God in the area of finances, it doesn't always come with an uh, unexpected check in the mail. Sometimes it comes with things that you have in your life never breaking down. And I had a truck given to me, and the truck was given to me. This is a true story. The truck was given to me, and, and the premise was, we have to get rid of this truck anyway because the engine shot, and it's going to be way too much to replace the engine than it is, uh, you know, to, to do anything. So if you want it, you can have it, but the engine's going to blow up any day now. So in my mind, a truck that possibly may break down someday is better than no truck. <laughs> so I took the truck. I'm like, I'm going to take it. And so I took the truck, and do you know I had that truck for four years, and I never had one problem with the motor. Never one problem with the engine. That thing took me to work and back. Now, I didn't take it out of town, mind you, you know, but my faith was like, Lord, I believe that you provided me this truck because I couldn't afford it, and then that truck never broke down on me, and then pretty soon, I was able to get rid of that truck and was able to get blessed with another car, and I just like, I just look at these stories of tangible ways that God was increasing my faith so that I would know not just that he is the God that can take care of my finances, but that he is the God that can do awesome things in my life and through my life for other people. Honestly, the 30 years that I've been fully devoted to following Jesus, I've seen this, and, and, and I started thinking about all of these things that have happened. I've had words given to me supernaturally, prophetically. I've given words over other people that were just you know, the, the people said, how did you know that? And I'm like, I, I didn't know that. God just told me to tell you this. Uh, I've prayed and I've watched people be physically healed right in front of me. I have delivered people of demonic spirits that were possessed. And that's, that stuff is real. It's not just on movies, all right? I've seen it multiple times. I've seen people's lives completely change course and, and pull 180 after I've prayed with them and they've accepted Christ. I mean, I've seen some incredible things. Honestly, I believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. I really do believe that. But if somebody were to come in here today and say, hey, I have big evidence to disprove that the Bible is authentic. If somebody came in here and they, they had some legitimate things, which, you know, I, I haven't 
ran into anybody that's been able to kind of do this, but let's just say they were. They were able to give me some legitimate points to say, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. See, I've lived enough of my faith, and I've seen enough things in my walk with God that even though I do believe the Bible is true, it's the inerrant, infallible, uh, inspired word of God. That if the Bible were to be taken away from me tomorrow, I know that I know that I know that the God of the Bible is real because I've seen him show up in my life over and over and over again. So what I'm wanting to tell you is that God went out of his way to start increasing Moses' faith because he needed to use Moses Moses for some awesome things. And I believe that God wants you to take some baby steps with your faith. Start stepping out with these nudges. If you feel like as you're praying in the morning and you have somebody come to your mind as you're praying for them, call them, text them, and let them know, hey, I was praying for you. Is there something going on? And then they can start giving you feedback, and you're going to start going, whoa, I just heard God in my life. And so guess what? When you start having more and more experiences where you start knowing that God showed up and he spoke to you, it's going to give you more and more confidence that the same God that did that is the same God that is moving out and wants to do this awesome thing in and through your life. Does that make sense, church? Let's go to number two here. And that is Moses was feeling inadequate. Inadequacy is another blocker from expecting awesome things to come through your life. And here's the reality. All of us deal with feelings of inadequacy. That you're not quite there. You're not measuring up. You're not enough. Things happen and you're just like, I don't have all the goods that I believe would be required for me to do this thing for God. I don't know one person who doesn't deal with feelings of inadequacy. I, I've had people come up and say, I don't know how you do it, and, and man, I just, I, you don't struggle with, like, me in this area, and I'm like, yeah, I do, every day. Everybody does. If you're a human being, you struggle with feelings of inadequacy. It just is a part of our human experience, and, and I think what's fueling a lot of that inadequacy, and I've preached a message about this before, but I, I think the criticism that we all get in our lives doesn't help feed our confidence. When somebody comes up and points out some flaws in our life and, and they bring it to our attention, even though they didn't need to bring it to our attention, we already had that in our mind. And then somebody comes along and says, you know what, man, you're really ugly. And like, I already knew I was ugly. Why are you pointing that out, man? And everybody, I think, has a story of when they were in second or third grade when that kid came on campus and said that you were too fat or your head was too big or your teeth were too uh, messed up. And, and, and it's, it's amazing. I, I think there's nothing more cruel than a third grader just being honest with you because you've already struggled with these things that, that you're battling and these thoughts. And then here comes a third grader that's just brutally honest and tells you something you already know, but then it gets fixed inside of you, and that criticism becomes a blocker for you to start expecting awesomeness from your life. Can God still use somebody with a big head? Absolutely. 
Can God still use somebody with buck teeth? Absolutely. Those things mean nothing. But that criticism can just get lodged inside of us, and we just think there's no way God can use me. It's not just criticism about how we look. It's criticism maybe about how, you know, our, our, uh, how we raise our families or, or what kind of career choices that we made. And it's not just criticism. It's comparison. It's this social media world where we just can't help but look at other people that seem to have their lives a little bit better together than we have our life. Come on, somebody. We look at their Instagram highlight reel and we're like, why isn't my family look like that? Why isn't my money look like that? They're in Paris. Come on, somebody. Like, the only way I'm going to Paris is going to the Strip on Las Vegas and looking at the Eiffel Tower. That's as close to Paris as I'm getting. But you, you have these comparisons that you build up. Maybe somebody in a career that is like your career, and they just seem to be skyrocketing what they're going through, and you look at your life and going, why, why aren't those opportunities happening for me? And, and those feelings of an inadequacy can just rob you and block you from fully embracing the awesome things that God wants to do in you and through your life. I love it because Moses says this in uh, verse 10. He says, but Moses pleaded with God, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. It's a New Living Translation. I love that. So God is saying, I want you to be a speaker for me and my people. And God's like... (laughs) I have an issue with speaking in front of people, and you want to use me? (laughs) Like, is this a joke? God will often use our weaknesses so that as he uses our weaknesses, he gets more glorification through the process. So here's a weakness that he's admitting. I know I have. People have pointed it out to me. I recognize it, but yet God's saying, I want to use you anyway. But here's the cool thing about God. God met him in the middle because Moses is like, choose somebody else. And then God says, well, you know what? You got a bro in your life, and I'm going to bring this bro in your life, and he's going to help you, and he's going to become your wingman. His name was Aaron. So Aaron becomes Moses' goose to his maverick, all right? And, and so you've got this, like, like this uh, idea of I'm not in this by myself. And you and I both know if there's a task to be done and you're feeling a little inadequate about it, if your bro steps up and says, I got you, dude, let's do this together, and you walk into a room, you're not by yourself, you're, you, you're preparing something, and somebody else is helping you prepare that thing. There, there is just a little bit extra confidence to your step when you know you have a wingman by your side or a wingwoman by your side that is helping you do the very thing that you're being asked to do. And I believe that God has a wingman or wingwoman for everybody. And, and not just a human being, but I believe this is where the Holy Spirit really kicks in for our faith. That the Holy Spirit, by Jesus' own words, was given to us to be our helper. The Holy Spirit was given to us to be our wingman. 
So that whenever we go somewhere, we have the understanding to know that, man, we have God not just in us, but, but God is moving with us and through us by his helper, the Holy Spirit, being in my life as my companion, as my partner. And what I've noticed about my own relationship with God is the more time I'm spending in the presence of God, if I wake up and, and I get on my face and I put on some worship music and I open my word, when I leave my house that morning, I'm a little bit more confident in my faith than I would be if I had not spent that time in the presence of God. That's just how things work. Why? Because when you have the awareness of his thereness in your life, it's going to give you that much more confidence in your own faith. That if God shows up to do something through you, something awesome, you're like, I'm ready, man. God, we got this. I don't have this. I can't even speak right. But God, I know you're in me and you're moving through me. And I know together we've got this. God is looking to partner with you as much as you're looking to partner with him to do incredible things for him. So if you struggle with inadequacy, my, my whole uh, you know, uh, advice for you, spend that extra time before God. Let him fill you up. Let, let him give you that awareness of his thereness in your life. L listen to what 2 Peter 1.3 says. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. He's given us everything we need. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, we all struggle with feeling inadequate, but God's presence is there to help us get through that space. Third thing Moses deals with, shame. He killed a dude. He was on the run. He was a fugitive. Now, it doesn't come out and say that Moses, you know, kind of uh, lets people know, like, hey, I, I've got a confession here. Uh, God, you got to pick some other guy because I got a rap sheet like, man, I, I'm a wanted man. It doesn't say that, but it's interesting to note that God goes out of his way to kind of talk into Moses about this idea. In verse 19 of chapter 4, it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. In other words, God understood that Moses was uncomfortable doing something he knew was already condemning him. And so there's going to be this pushback. And there's going to be this blocker that comes in all of our lives because we can't get past our past. The things that we've done, we're aware of it. Maybe the stranger we're ministering to doesn't know about it, but you, it's hard to run from yourself. It's hard to run from your own history. You're going, I can't be used to do awesome things for God, man, because I've done some horrible things in my life. And shame comes most of the time as a voice against the voice of God in your life. It's a voice. It's the same voice that showed up in the garden that day in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we read about the fall of man where the serpent comes on scene and convinces Eve 
to eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and she eats it, and Adam with her, it says. And then it says in, in chapter 2 that they were both naked and unashamed. They had no shame on them. And in that moment where they were, had this perfect unity with God, there was no shame in their life. But they ate of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says in chapter 3, they ran for they were aware of their nakedness. They ran from God. They hid from God. And God was looking for them. And he finds them. And he says, why are you hiding from me? He says, because... Adam says, because we were naked and, and, and we were scared. And then God says something interesting. He says, who told you that? I didn't tell you that. <laughs> that wasn't my voice declaring that to you. There was another voice that you allowed into your life that brought in the shame that is keeping you from this perfect union with me where we can walk together in the cool of the day. There are voices of shame in your life that are going to be relentless. And here's the reality. When you hear something repeated long enough and often enough, you will begin to believe the very things that are being spoken over your life. You'll start believing it. And see, the difference of guilt, guilt says you failed. Shame says you're a failure. There's a difference. See, shame is kind of giving you something to say, this is who you are. This isn't just something you did. This is the, the person that you are. And a lot of times what happens is we make a mistake. And instead of owning that mistake and saying, that's not really who I am, I just failed in this moment, we start convincing ourselves the reason we failed in that moment is that is who we really are. And I, I want to tell you the power of the gospel isn't that Jesus came and he died and he forgave you of your sin. The power of the gospel is that you're not just forgiven of your sin. You've been given a whole brand new identity that God has proclaimed to you. You are now a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new again. You have a new identity. And that is just powerful. So what I've determined in my own life and my own journey with God is that shame is always going to be there. And instead of trying to turn that voice off, what I've learned to do is I just learned to turn the voice of God up so that I can tune out the voice of shame that wants to speak against my life and wants to block me from expecting awesome things to be done through my life. So... so I want you to understand, you just got to learn to turn the voice of God up more in your life. How do you do that? You just let God speak to you. You let him, let him proclaim things to you, like in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Failure is what you may have done, but it's not who you are. That Christ has proclaimed to you that not only are you forgiven, but you're a child of God. 
Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.